What is happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery related. My name is Mark, and with me always are Dave and Jared. And today we have a very special guest. Jared's going to introduce her. Today we have a very special guest. She is from <laughs> New York City. She's been sober for 635 or 636 days. And she's recovering out loud. And her name is Rachel, also known as Sober in Central Park. Hi. Welcome, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, thanks for having me. You know, as we mentioned before, we love having our guests on to share their stories, to <clears throat> help people. And, you know, in the long term, help kind of eliminate the stigma surrounding addiction. Um, so... First and foremost, where are you from? Um, this is, I, I actually never know how to answer that question. Um, all over the East Coast, pretty much. We moved around a lot when I was younger. I was always the new kid. Um, I lived in New Jersey, in Pittsburgh, Connecticut. Um, but my dad lives here in the city. I've lived here for a very long time. Um, so New York's definitely my home. Good stuff. Um, so what age did you move there, you said? The first time, well, so my dad moved here when I was 15. Um, and at that time I was attending a boarding school in Western Mass. So I would pretty much come here when I could on the weekends. And then I was here for a little bit when I was in college because I had to leave college um, two different times for various reasons. Um, and then I've been here permanently ever since 2014. Okay, good stuff. So like growing up, like what was childhood like for you? really difficult. <laughs> um, I was a troublemaker. Um, you know, I'm the oldest of three children in my family. Um, and growing up, we moved around a lot, which wasn't easy, actually, you know, being the new kid when you're in fifth grade, eighth grade, like those are pretty, you know, important years in socialization. So I think the fact that we moved around a lot, you know, kind of contributed in a sense to my substance abuse later on. Um, but yeah, I was always getting into trouble. I was always kind of marching to the beat of my own drum and going against society. Um, you know, I had my first drink when I was 14, um, and actually just started like partying when I was that age. So yeah. Were there like, um, any like addictions within your family that you grew up around? No, not at all. And it was never talked about, um, no. You want to talk about that like first time? Um, the first time I got drunk? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first time I, I got drunk, um, I actually ended up losing my virginity that same night. And it was a pretty, it was pretty traumatic afterwards. Um, and it's actually something I think about a lot, like often. Um, but before I actually drank, I mean, there was like cocaine and, and other drugs that were constantly around. I, I, this was in Connecticut and it was just so easy to access. It was almost easier for people to get than alcohol. So for me, you know, I was just kind of addicted to the numbing and the partying. It wasn't necessarily like one substance or just alcohol. It was kind of like, how do I escape my feelings? So did you try Coke before you drank? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. I know. I, I've actually never, I don't think I've ever 
shared that before, but I was thinking back on it and yeah, I mean, it was just so, it was just everywhere in the friend group that I fell into when we moved there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Can relate. (laughs) (laughs) Connecticut is pretty bad for drugs too, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I used to always joke that there's something in the water in Connecticut because everyone's crazy. Um, But I actually still think that's the truth. (laughs) So after the first time, what did like using look like after that? Um, You know, I don't really see it like that in my teenage years because, you know, my I ended up going to boarding school and repeating my sophomore year of high school. My parents and they got divorced when I was 14. And that's really when everything started. Um, I just acted out. I decided I didn't need to go to school anymore. I decided I could just skip class every day. And my mom was like, no, you're like not you're not throwing away your education. And so um, I ended up going to a boarding school where I repeated my sophomore year and it saved me. I mean, I had a lot of extra chances that saved me. Um, and so when I was there, I wasn't getting messed up. I went to class. I actually got diagnosed with ADHD, which is also a really big part of my story. Um, and I was put on medication for the ADHD and that helped me excel in school. And so I ended up actually, um, getting into my first choice college, which was Dartmouth college in New Hampshire, but that (laughs) is where the substance abuse got really bad. Um, Dartmouth is a huge party school and a really big drinking school. And it really normalized the amount of substance abuse that happened all around me. I thought it was normal. And in retrospect, it is not normal (laughs) to be drinking that much or doing that much, many drugs. Um, And most of my friends from that time are either sober now um, or yeah, most of them are sober now. Um, so say when you were in school, was it like a daily thing or like partying on weekends or what were we kind of looking at? When I was in college, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it was a daily thing okay. and it was like a lot of partying. Um, it, the alcohol piece was really like in my thirties, like after I got all the partying out of my system in my twenties and I kind of stopped doing all those things just because I grew out of it. But when I was in the thick of it during college, I mean, yeah, I don't know a time I was sober. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's it's sad to think about. Yeah, were you still like able to do well in school? I I was able to do when I went to class and I did the assignments. Yes, I did well in school, but the ADHD mixed with like depression and anxiety that it was made worse by doing these substances made it really really hard to make it to class, um, to finish my work on time. I always, I was the queen of extensions. That's what I would tell people. I would like literally get extensions in every class. Um, so it took me seven years to graduate. I almost did not graduate. I, I left for two significant amount periods of time. Um, and I'm very lucky that I was given the, the chances to actually finish my, get my degree. Did you ever feel like <clears throat> drinking alcohol like for school like before doing homework or anything like that would try in your mind would make you think you were doing better like no. make it easier kind of uh well I wouldn't drink and then study no I no <laughs> like sometimes I would smoke weed and study yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't drink and study I mean some people did that just like wasn't my my thing 
Oh, 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 sorry, Dave. Oh, no. I was just going to ask you about when you mentioned the, the depression and anxiety. Did you re medication for that? Uh, or was that just looking back now or later on that you realized? Yeah, no, I was put on um, an anxiety medication before I got into college. And then I think it was the medication you're really not supposed to drink on. And I realized that pretty quickly and went off of it from what I can remember. Um, and then I think later on, I was re-prescribed antidepressant medication. Um, and I've been on it. I've been on lots of different, different ones, but um, I'm still on antidepressants today. So what did you study in school? I was a math major when I got to school, actually. Um, but after abstract linear algebra, I was like, no, this is not for me. I don't care about the vector and the Z dimension. So I switched to cultural anthropology. Um, I was taking a class called Death and Dying at the time. And I thought it was so interesting how cultures across all different civilizations that didn't know each other, of course, did similar rituals when it came to that, to death. So I was totally fascinated by it. And I still am fascinated with why people do the things they do and, you know, our society. <laughs> Absolutely. So after you finish your degree, where did you go from there? Straight to New York City the second I could get back here. I was so done with Hanover, New Hampshire. <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to do there but go to frat basements. So um, I booked it to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where I thought I was a hipster for most of my 20s. Um, and I pretty much partied and I don't really know how I made it out. <laughs> Were you working during that time? The first year I was there, no. Okay. I was very depressed and trying to figure it out. Um, and then yes, I was working. Um, but you know, when you're in your twenties, I feel like you almost have like superpowers. You can go out until four in the morning and somehow make it to work at, at eight 30, even if you're dying, like feel like you're dying. <laughs> yeah. So that's like what I, what I remember. Absolutely. Um, so Rachel, kind of, do you want to like, kind of talk about like, I guess over that period did like any using, I guess, escalate or was there a point when you were like, this is probably getting, becoming a problem? No, no, I didn't care. Like the no. problem was, is I didn't care. And if anyone tried to tell me I had a problem, I'd be like, screw you. Like I, you, why are you telling me I have a problem? <laughs> Um, no, I, I had no thoughts about it. I just wanted to numb and I, I really just didn't care about myself, about my future, about what was going on. I just wanted to get messed up. So no, it wasn't until COVID that I was like, wow, okay, this something has to change. Okay. And then where did you kind of go from there? So, well, about like five years before I stopped drinking, I did know I had a problem. Like I was aware of it. I've also been in therapy for a long time. And, you know, I have a friend that was in AA and, you know, I went to a meeting with her once. And when I was in that meeting and people were talking, I started crying. I couldn't believe that I was relating to people in this AA room. Like I, I, it scared me. And I got out of that meeting and I got so drunk and I was like, oh my God, I was scared. Um, she told me that was normal. I was like, oh, are you sure? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I knew that there was an issue. But then during COVID, um, 
I was with my now ex and my dog and we, we fled New York um, when everything was happening and we went up to New Hampshire and I ended up losing my job and I thought that was going to be my dream because I hated my job. I could, you know, watch TV all day. I could eat whatever I wanted. I didn't have any responsibilities. Like what could be better than that? And I was still so unhappy. And I was like, well, why am I so unhappy? And I do remember the moment where that it all clicked. And I kind of was just like, how do I have that, this life where I get up and I'm happy and I exercise and I find joy in the little things? Like, how do I get that? And I, it clicked that, well, people who have that aren't drinking whiskey and passing out on their couch every night. Like there's not, there's not. Um, so that was in June, 2020. And we came back to the city in September and moved into our the apartment I'm in now. And I, January, 2021, my mom and my sister were like, you should do dry January with us. I think they just wanted me to stop drinking. So I reluctantly agreed to try it and I never had a drink again. That's amazing. Was there a point through that January where you're like, I'm, I'm going to stick with this? No, I mean, I didn't actually think I was going to even make it 30 days. Like I, I, and I didn't start on January 1st. I started on January, like the end of January 2nd or 3rd, whatever. Um, and I was like, okay, fine. I'm just I really wanted to do it too, because my sister was getting married <laughs> and later on, and I hated the way I looked at the time. And I was like, well, maybe I can like lose weight and that will be helpful. Like I had to like, I didn't, I could not go into this thinking like I'm never drinking again and I'm going to be sober. That it probably wouldn't have worked for me. I went in just like, let's see how long I can make it. <laughs> yeah. That is a really cool thing about like the, I guess the dry month challenges, especially with like sober October coming up and it kind of, I guess, opens up your mind to the possibility. Yeah. And, but I think that if you start something in thinking it's forever, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Um, yeah. You know, at this point in my journey now, yeah, I can confidently say I'm never drinking again. Mm. But in January 2021, you know, I mean, I really thought I was going to drink after the 30 days. Now, you said your, your, your sister and your mom kind of, um, you think maybe were pushing you to try to, to do that dry January. Is that something that they kind of saw for a while from you, maybe to slow down the drinking? Or was it just more that timing of it? Yeah, no, my mom definitely wanted me to stop drinking. Um, she got me the Quit Like a Woman book from by Holly Whitaker for Hanukkah, from, right before I stopped drinking. She was like, Chrissy Teigen was showing it on Instagram. Like, you might like it too. I was like, thanks, mom. Uh, but it was a great book, actually. And um, it really did reframe the way I saw alcohol. And I never thought of it as a toxic poison that we were just ingesting. I never saw it that way. And so reading books like that really did help in my journey. Did you, did you have, like, when you first started the dry January, did you have, like, the obsessive thoughts all the time where, like, you need a drink or want a drink, like, every single day? Mm -hmm. um, and you just kind of did, so did, would you say you just kind of white knuckled it through the first little bit till you were able to like get in a good routine and a good system down? 
Um, so this is what I tell people when they message me on Instagram, because this is the most common thing I get asked. Like, how did you do it? What's your advice for starting out? Yeah. I'm like, holy, that is like amazing. <laughs> well, what, I, so what I did was I, I needed a replacement. I knew that like, I'm a fast, I like to drink things fast, like no matter what it is. And so I was never a tea drinker and I was like, I'm going to get into tea. Like it was January. It was cold. I was like, we're going, I bought any, every single flavor I could find. Okay. So every single time I wanted a drink, I would go make a cup of tea. That was the first thing. And drinking the cup of tea actually was great because by the time it cooled down enough to drink it and I was able to get through the, I didn't want the drink anymore, like the alcohol anymore. By the time I finished the tea, if that didn't work, I went out and I walked my dog. Even in the negative degrees, I would put on three pairs of pants and we would walk to Central Park. And Central Park was like so important in my journey because first of all, in New York, I don't drive anywhere. Like I don't have a car, you walk everywhere. But Central Park is like massive. I did not know my way around Central Park at all, even though I've lived here for a very long time. I just, why would I have gone to Central Park? I just wanted to drink. Like it didn't make sense. So when I stopped drinking and I was like, had all this free time and like energy, <laughs> I was like, I'm not drinking. I would walk with my dog to Central Park. And we at first would just like get to the park and then turn around and leave because I was scared. I was anxious. I didn't want to get lost. I don't know. And as I got further into the journey, we would go further and further into the park. And now I could like give tours of every trail in Central Park, basically. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just, I walked until I didn't want to drink anymore. No, I have a, I have a silly question made possibly, but I don't think it is. So how long have you had, your, how long have you had your dog for? <laughs> In November, it will be four years. Okay. So, so I don't have, I, I have a dog, I have a dog as well. Now, and I, I can't relate to someone that has, that, you know, has kids and has changed their drinking or not drinking since having kids, but. Did you notice a, a difference in your dog even when you got sober and how like much more happy your dog is? Yes. Oh yeah, okay. my God. Yes. He is. He was already happy. Like I have to say like his name's George. He was already happy, but not only did we start going to Central Park in April of 2021, we started doing off leash in Central Park, which is only before 9am or after 9pm, but we don't go in the dark. And seeing his face off leash running around central park with all the other central park off leash dogs it's like i can't even express how happy it makes me and how happy he is and so i put it on my instagram sometimes because he's just like marching around like people call him the mayor of central hill he is like a, he's the greeting committee i mean it's it's truly amazing <laughs> that's awesome that is incredible um Rachel, at what point did you decide like to kind of start sharing your story and I guess create your Instagram? So it was about eight months into the journey. And um, I never, ever thought that my Instagram was going to become what it is now. Um, I just kind of, when I first posted about not drinking on my old Instagram that I like, don't use anymore, it felt so much more real than when I hadn't posted like people were messaging me like like sharing stories relating to what I was going through people I had no idea had struggled with alcohol and I was like okay like this isn't so scary um and then I realized I glamorized my drinking 
like I was always posting on my old Instagram, like me out, me with a martini, like whatever. I was like, so why can't I glamorize my sobriety? Um, but I didn't want to just like push it on people that used to follow that, that followed me in the drinking. Um, so I decided to make a new Instagram account and just to hold myself accountable and post whatever memes I saw. And I had no idea what it was going to look like, but I knew that like, I went to Central Park every day. So at least I'd have like a picture from Central Park to post. And that was, you know, my, my thinking behind it. Um, I knew that sharing my story would help if it could help one person, it was worth it. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my, my thinking behind the account. That's awesome. Rachel, can you tell us like a little bit about your friend group? Has it changed? Uh, what's that look like? Did you have to leave some friends in the dust or how did that all go about? Yeah. So I think for, well, for me, at least I was in a relationship, a very serious relationship when I stopped drinking. So that ended about like a hundred days in, which was a long time coming. So between that and friends of mine that we literally were just drinking friends, I realized I kind of was on my own. Like I felt very much alone for a while on this journey. And like, I just needed to figure it out and not think about anybody else. And I tell people when they reach out to me, it's a selfish journey. You have to be prepared to like be on this selfish journey by yourself because you cannot care what everyone else is doing around you or what everyone else around you thinks. I had friends that I thought were my friends that I would go out with and they'd be like, you can drink. I won't tell anybody. And I'm like, you don't get it at all. <laughs> um, and you're not my friend. So some of the relationships lasted for a little bit and then just naturally kind of faded away. And as those relationships faded away, new people started entering my life that were more aligned with the person I am now. And I actually found all of those friends through Instagram, which is wild. I, if you had told old me that I would be making best friends through Instagram, I wouldn't have believed you. But I was going through my text messages on my phone and almost everyone I've texted today is a friend from Instagram. <laughs> Are you friends with sober is funky? Yes. Oh my God. We're friends in real life. Yeah. And we have actually, her on here. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. No, she, she's great. We've done a bunch of things together. We made a mocktail in Central Park once. We went to New Jersey to meet Sober and Shining together. Um, we're going to a Shirley event next week together. So she's the first person I actually met in real life through Instagram. She's That's cool. really cool. Yeah. She was one of our first guests. Really? Yeah, no, she's yeah. amazing. I love her so much. <laughs> yeah. She's great. Um, but no, so some of my other friends though are um, sober in Los Angeles, sober in Seattle, and actually, so so the three of us have been like doing the sober city movement, and really, it was the idea of Alex, who's sober in Seattle, and she reached out to me maybe a few months into having my account, saying, "Hey, like I want to start the sober city movement. Do you want to be part of it?" And I was like, "Hell yeah, I do. I want friends. <laughs> I want sober friends." Um, and so. I can't, I can't even tell you how much those ladies mean to me. And now the Sober City movement has gained such traction. I don't know the exact stats. Alex would be mad at me for not knowing, but there, we have people in like 80 cities. I mean, it's growing every single day. Um, and it's really exciting. We're doing meetups and events, and we really want people to have community no matter what city you're in. So if you're in a city that doesn't have a Sober City rep, 
and you want to be one, reach out to me or sober in Seattle, sober in Los Angeles, and and we'll get you set up. <laughs> do you have Do you have any Canadian uh, sober cities? I think so. Yeah, we definitely do. Okay. Yeah, there is a sober in Toronto. I'm very. I'm pretty confident about that. We've got to be. Yeah. yeah. Sober in the six. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. We have England, yeah. we have Hong Kong. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really gaining a lot of momentum and it's it's amazing. It's so cool that Instagram and social media can be used for such a positive thing. Um, and it really is helping people. So that would be the best positive ta- Instagram takeover ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, before this interview, us creeping your story. <laughs> and um yeah yeah oh god my stories are a lot if you watch yeah. my stories i am like i share everything on there <laughs> yes and you're talking you were saying you went on a date today so i think <laughs> i think this is this could be a good question i don't know so i think like dating in sobriety is something that people kind of stress about because there is that element of having to like kind of tell people that you know you're sober or there's like those nerves and how, how has that journey been for you basically is what I'm getting at. I've loved it. Um, I am super upfront that I don't drink. Like if, if I have a dating profile, it's the first thing you see on there. Like I don't drink, don't ask me for drinks. If you ask me for drinks, I'm not responding and I'm matching you. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting though, because I am in a place where I don't want a relationship. I actively want to be single, but I still want to date. So I like know what I like and, you know, I'm still learning about myself. But that being said, if the universe presents me with the perfect person and like the perfect relationship, I'll go for it, you know, but I've, I've been having a great time and I, I'm not worried about do, like being in unsafe situations or like doing something I'm going to regret I'm in control and I'm, and you know, in the beginning, it was a little weird. Okay. In the beginning, I had to like kind of get used to it. But then again, I was ending like a five-year relationship. So it could have just been that too. Mm -hmm. I don't really know, but I'm having a great time. That was a great answer. I've always wanted to ask that question. I don't really, I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. No, people ask me about sober dating all the time. And the only reason I don't talk about it more on my account is because when you are dating and you have a public Instagram account like mine, people find it who you're dating and they decide to stop your stories. And then they tell you they're not watching your stories and they secretly are for months. So that happened to me and I found out. And so now I'm super careful about telling people, you know, that I even have this account because it's not really not fair for them to be able to go to my page and read all of my like posts, which are pretty much like a diary that I put on there. Right. And I don't get to read that about them. So that's the only thing that's been hard about sober dating, but I, that's also because I'm recovering out loud. So that makes sense. That's interesting. That, that question too. Do you think like, do you find in, you had a long-term relationship and you got sober during it? Do you find that when you got sober, you kind of realize that more that you didn't want to be with this person or did, was that an impact at all or? No, I knew we were supposed, we were going to break up before COVID. That that was the plan. Then COVID happened and we were kind of stuck together and we tried to make it work. What quitting drinking did was give me the confidence to actually end it. 
he was never going to end it. I had to actually rip the bandaid off and be like, this is over for, for both of us. No, you know, it was the best decision, but I didn't have the confidence to do that before I stopped drinking. Also, like before I, there were a few years in there when the drinking was really bad at the end where I gained like a lot of weight and I look totally different than I look now. And I think that my self-esteem was really low. My confidence was really low. And so after a hundred, he actually went out drinking on my uh, 90 days and he wasn't a drinker ever. He literally never drank. So that was kind of the last straw for me. I was like, you're done, get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes, that's a good reason. Yeah. Rach, I had a, I had a question um, about your mindset back when you first got sober and we we're talking jerry was talking about kind of um pushing friends like pushing friends out were you surprised how when you were on your own and like not nobody around how okay you were with it like working on yourself because like i found that thought scary about losing losing certain relationships but then like when you're kind of in that sobriety work on yourself it's amazing how like just happy you are to like kind of just find yourself yeah, no, I definitely felt that way. I mean, then again, I have George, so I never really feel totally alone. <laughs> sure. But uh, no, I never before in the past, I was scared of being alone. I think I have a super codependent. I couldn't do things by myself. I, even in New York, I hated doing anything alone. It really gave, it gave me a lot of anxiety. So feeling confident in like going to a different area of the city and just like walking around by myself or like doing things that quote, normal people just did without worrying about like that. I was, I was in the pink clouds too, right? Like I was just almost like feeling high on sobriety. Like I had never felt so good in my life. So I didn't care what anyone else was doing. I didn't care about friends. I didn't care about relationships. Like I knew that like I was changing and I knew that it was, ha it was happening. And I was just like trying to soak it all up as it was going on. Rachel, you speak about the pink cloud. Um, I I know with me, I was like riding that pink cloud for a decent amount of time. And then I just hit like a really shitty spot and I needed to kind of start working and getting more, I guess, resources and help for my recovery. Did that ever happen to you? Or did you, what did that look like? Are you still on that pink cloud? <laughs> no, I'm definitely not still on the pain cloud. Um, the second year of sobriety, like, you know, there were definitely some lows and, you know, it wasn't as new and exciting as it was when I was first starting out. Um, I think though, having this Instagram account, right, was my way of figure of getting those extra resources. Uh, you know, I have people that message me every single day. I have people that, you know, I are my internet friends and that are like my support system on there. And so I could go on my story and talk to people and share what was on my mind and find connection and community through the Instagram account. So I think having that was my, was what saved me from some of those slumps. And I'm, I love telling people to make their own accounts. Like, I think it is one of the best things you can do. It's a creative medium. It can take up so much time if you want it to. Um, and I didn't, I never thought I was a creative person ever. Like I, as I told you, I tried to study math in college. <laughs> I was not like sitting around, you know, making videos. So uh, 
it just opened up a whole new side of myself that I didn't know existed. Yeah. And um, I know like I'm a member of AA, Mark's uh, NA and Dave's AA. And I know working with others is one of the best like tools to keep your recovery possible. So I think that's a great tool using Instagram to work with others. And that's kind of like what we do with the podcast. It's, it's all the same thing and it all works the same, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I actually, so I didn't know what coaching was at all. I didn't even know that was a thing. And I actually, I want to write a book about this crazy stuff that I've been through and my recovery. And I reached out to someone on Instagram who had written a book. Turns out she was a coach. We end up working together and she's like, you should be a recovery coach. (laughs) Me? Like, why me? She's like, you just, you need to do it. So I, I tried, I started that out and I've worked with some people who have had wild success. Um, It's not something I'm doing at the moment just because I have a lot of things in the going on, but I do feel like this is my purpose and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm supposed to be sharing my story and I'm supposed to be helping people recover and I'm supposed to be normalizing, um, not drinking in a society that shoves it down our throat, literally. So I'm thinking about like, um, I think social media sometimes gets like a negative, I guess, like connotation type thing. Right. But I really think it can be used for, for good. Right. And like, say your account and all sober accounts, like surrounding yourself with that positivity, I think is so crucial. And like for the first, I think I deleted all my social media when like I went into treatment, I deleted all my social media. I was like, I'm taking a break from it all, whatever. And I was still nervous after. So say like probably took, I guess like six, seven months into sobriety before I really got into, um, got into social media again. And I started surrounding myself with more positive accounts and I found it's been like, and it's been so much different from how it used to be. And like, I used to be nervous about seeing people drinking and glamorizing alcohol and partying and whatever. But now I have like, I guess it's just who you follow. And I think that's really special. 100%. You're so right. Because my old Instagram, my old personal Instagram, I stopped posting on it really when I, when I wasn't drinking the, the beginning. And when I made sober in Central Park, I only followed sober accounts and positive accounts and like positive affirmations and spiritual accounts. And so when I go still and look at my feed, it's only positive things. There are not, there's nothing negative on there. Um, And I never go on my old Instagram. Actually, it's almost like that one died when sober in Central Park became a thing. So I do think that's super important who you follow, what you see. And actually I was on Facebook the other day. I don't really use it that much anymore. Their algorithm needs some work because it keeps showing me like, I love tequila sponsored posts. And then like people talking about like why they love tequila. And I'm like taking screenshots. Like, why does the algorithm think I want to see this? Um, Or it's like, you should marry someone that drinks with you at 8 a.m. in the airport. I'm like, no, Facebook, you got it wrong. So it's interesting though, because I was, I would read the comments in some of those posts and people will comment their stories and then like have other people hype them up in the comments. 
And I think that is I actually made a reel about it the other day. It's a mob mentality, right? And it's society normalizing this drinking culture and then having everyone else feel like it's okay because everyone else is sharing these crazy stories of not being able to get on a plane because they were too drunk or like, oh, ha ha, like so funny. That's not funny. That sucks. Like that, that's embarrassing. And that's awful. Like, why are we, why are we laughing at that and promoting that? So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. I agree. So Rachel, what, uh, what other recovery tools you got in your toolbox there that you like to share with us? Making so, tea. <laughs> making tea. So I say, so when I, when people ask me, I say find replacements. You want to find replacements for everything in terms of people. So like friends, um, your time, like, what are you going to do with all your extra time? find a find fun drinks that you like that are could be tea could be mocktails I mean this is to to not drink right now is like sorry what were you gonna say sorry I just had a I have, I have a question for you after about mocktails maybe okay well I know <laughs> it can be controversial to some people yeah I, I was gonna ask you yeah, I do get some angry DMs. People will DM me and be like, you should really stay away from the mocktails. You're going to relapse. And I'm like, I'm not going to relapse, but thanks for the concern. Um, I, you know, I think it's really cool that we even have these options though, right? That companies are creating zero proof alternatives and making that an option for people, right? Like I was at my, I was the maid of honor in my best friend's wedding a few weekends ago and Ritual actually sent a bunch of their product to the wedding and she, she doesn't drink either. She stopped drinking a few months after me and any of the cocktails at the wedding could be made with zero proof ritual alternatives. And people were trying it who had never tried it before. And it was so cool to see. Um, but back to the original question, <laughs> the tools. So I definitely think having the replacements, right? But also being, for me, it was being spiritual and really being in touch with, I know what some people call it the higher power. I call it my higher self um, and really trying to like say affirmations. That was the first piece in my recovery. I, I went back to some old journal entries and when I actually started writing down what I was grateful for and writing down affirmations, that's when everything changed for me. And that was before I stopped drinking. My therapist made me do it because I was like sad and depressed. And she was like, say nice things to yourself in the mirror. And I would like cry in the mirror being like, oh, you, you can do it. It was awful. But now I say them every day. Um, and journaling, that was super helpful. Sometimes I would write and I didn't even know I was feeling something until it was coming out in my notes app on my phone. That's how I journal. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think the combination of, you know, I listen to sleep frequencies when I go to bed all night. Like they actually have, I think that has helped a lot. Might sound a little crazy, but you can listen to ones for abundance, for chakra alignment, for bring manifesting love, like any anything you can find it on YouTube. And I put it on all night and all I'm saying is I can't tell you that it for sure worked, but I can't, I can tell you it definitely didn't hurt. <laughs> you uh, meditate, do yoga. So I don't meditate in the way that you like see in the movies. Right. And I think that's no. a really common misconception that you have to like sit <laughs> and sit like a yogi and meditate. Like I meditate when I'm walking my dog in Central Park, I meditate you know, walking the streets of New York, like I will just like sit, sit on my couch and look out the window. 
Um, but I don't necessarily, you know, that's my meditation. Um, and yeah, my exercise, all I do is walk. That's literally all I do. Sweet. Okay. What is your favorite affirmation? Hmm. I'm really bad with favorite anything. Like, cool. don't ask me my favorite movie. Don't ask me my favorite song. I can't answer. But um, I will say my body listens to me and me only. Um, I call all my power back from every time situation and reality. Um, and sorry, this is from a reel I posted the other day. So they're top of mind. Um, I also like to say I cut any cords um, that don't serve me. Um, because I truly believe that people out there will try to take your energy and without your permission, and you need to sever those cords that you don't want. Sweet. I liked all those. I'm a big affirmation guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's really important. It's all about how we talk to ourselves, right? And our mindset. And before I stopped drinking, I was sad and I didn't like myself and I would constantly have negative self-talk. Yeah. So until that self-talk actually changed, and I tell people, even if you don't believe it, say it, say it over and over and over. And eventually you're going to believe it. Absolutely. How do you, uh, like with, for me, I like get pretty negative with myself at times, but how do you control that? Mm. I find it so difficult to control the negative thoughts. I mean, I think it took a while, uh, but I mean, if I do something and I'm like, oh, that was so dumb, I will right after be like, but it's okay. We got it, you know, and just kind of like reframe it. And it's all yeah. about the energy behind things, right? Like we're doing our best. I know I'm doing my best, right? So if something goes wrong or something happens that I don't want it, to, that I don't want, I know that it's not because I'm a bad person or I suck. Like, sometimes things are just out of our control, right? But I didn't think like that for a long time. It definitely took the whole 636 days to get here. Um, that's for sure. Good answer. I like that. Was it? I, I don't even know. Yeah, I, I really liked it, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw when, when someone told me, and it was such an easy thing, but like, when you're so negative to yourself, you have that person living in your in your head saying these negative things, but if they were a friend in your life saying those things you wouldn't even talk to them like you wouldn't even associate with them you would cut them out but yet you allow that person still in your in your head to beat yourself up so when i heard it like i kind of explained like that i was like i'm still i'm still beat myself up sometimes but i just mean like it's easy it's easier for me to separate it after that i don't know no that makes sense i mean i think yeah we can we can be mean to ourselves all we want but that's I think, listen, whatever energy we are vibrating at is the energy we're going to get back. I truly believe in the law of attraction and, and energy and vibes and frequencies, right? So if we're mean to ourselves and we have negative self-talk, we're going to be vibrating at a lower frequency than if we're like, it's okay. Everything's going to work out. The universe has my back. Maybe it doesn't seem like it right now, but I know that the universe has got me. I'm going to make it. And that's what I say actually on my story a lot. It's, it's, if you, now that I'm thinking about it, even when I'm having a bad day, I'll get on there and I'll tell people, oh, I'm having a bad day. This is why, but it's okay. We got it. And everything's going to, you know, and that's my way of self-talking as well. Maybe it's on my public story. <laughs> yeah, 
but you know, and it does work out usually. Well, one I use that like a lot probably shouldn't, but it's probably like a negative thing anyways, but I'm like having a terrible day and I'm like, well, I could be drunk and drooling all over the place right now. So I'm having a pretty darn good day. Really? <laughs> that's what, uh, so, yeah, oh, I think that's fair. And yeah. You know, I think when I have bad days now, no bad day I have now is worse than when I was drinking and yeah, exactly. and didn't care. I really, I mean, there were points for me that were so low, but I did not want to live anymore. And I just didn't care about my future at all, let alone be excited for the future. Um, so it's still wild for me to think about the tra- the change and the transformation and yeah. Do you look into the future a lot or do you focus on your day? Hmm, interesting. Um, I'm an anxious person by nature and I'm a planner. So it's hard for me to always live in the moment. I try to remind myself to do that more often. Um, but no, I like to think about the future and I like to, you know, kind of prepare, but we can't control the future and the universe doesn't listen to time, right? That's something I've learned. If you want to manifest something, you want to manifest it into your life. The universe might listen to you, but it's not going to go in the timeline that you want. Um, so I've learned that lesson in great ways, but yes, I do believe manifestation is very real and people laugh about it and people will joke about it. But when, if you really want to know how I did this, I truly believe it was, I manifested this life. I don't know how else I did. No, that's well said. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to phrase a question. I don't really know what I'm, what I'm getting at here, but uh, last time I went to New York, I, um, I partied <laughs> pretty much the whole time I was there. Just like, just a, a horrible, like when I think about it, I'm just like, you're so stupid, Mark. Negative self-talk kicking in. But um, basically what kind of sober must are there for a trip to New York? Okay, so, well, obviously, go to Central Park. I mean, how could you not think I was going to say that? Yeah, I, um, I figured that. Um, in <laughs> retrospect, I didn't go to Central Park last time. See? <laughs> See? Yeah, because when you're drinking and you're, the last thing you want to do is go, like, walk around Central Park. Like, um, but there's a lot of cool stuff to that I don't think other cities have yet. So there's a store called Boisson now that... I think they have some locations in California and I think they're opening up other locations. They only sell non-alcoholic beverages. So mocktail stuff, but also like cool seltzer stuff. That's a really cool thing to just experience. And then places like Hakate, which just opened um, downtown. It's a sober dive bar. Um, like how cool is that? That there's a sober dive bar downtown. Like I can't even believe that's a thing. Um so there's a place in Williamsburg, actually really cool. It's called Kava Social and they, it's like elixir kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously like, you know, New York, just walking around the city and, and taking in the people. I mean, it's, it's my favorite place on earth, but I mean, did you go to the museums last time you were here? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I, um, yeah, I will go out and say, I didn't see the Statue of Liberty. I didn't see Times Square. I didn't, you, you see didn't miss Park. anything. 
Yeah, so I didn't see any of the normal touristy things. I just, I went to a festival and partied on 5th and 15th and got catfished with my apartment that we rented. So, yeah, it was, anyway, um, all good (laughs) memories, I guess. You know what I would say? Take the ferry around New York. People never think to do that when they come. It's the same price as the subway. And it's so cool. Like it, you can go all around the city. You can see the Statue of Liberty. You can see go under all the bridges. And I don't think it's something that like all the tourists think to do. So no, no, no. don't go to Times Square. It's like not worth it and awful and not the real New York. So all right. Maybe, yeah, maybe I've seen a bit of the real New York when I was there. <laughs> I don't know if you were drinking like do you even remember no. <laughs> I went to yeah I went to a concert on the Tuesday night don't really remember it four baseball games couldn't tell you the score of one of them and a three-day festival so yeah it was what was the festival uh governor's ball oh, yeah. Boy. yeah yeah that was some time ago but uh yeah I used to love festivals myself, so. I'm looking forward to a sober visit to New York, basically to actually enjoy the city. Do it. People ask me all the time, they're like, isn't it hard to be sober in New York? I'm like, not any harder than anywhere else. I mean, like, yes, I live above noisy bars that I can hear in my bedroom. I can hear drunk people yelling outside my window, but that doesn't bother, that doesn't bother me anymore. It's like just normal. Um, I think you have to, it has to be on you and in your mindset, not your surroundings, right? Like you can't run from your problems. You can't, you know, escape. You have to just face them. That's what sobriety is, right? Well, I think you got some cool, some cool options too that you don't have in smaller towns. I can tell you where I live, there'll never be a sober dive bar. I can tell you that, (laughs) but that'd be cool if there was. Well, I don't know if you've heard of Sam's Bar, but they actually travel around the country. And I think they're actually going to other countries too uh, next year. Um, And it's like a pop-up event that happens and you come and Chris is the guy who organizes it and he has a speaker come. And uh, they had one a few months ago here in New York and I went with Paige, sober and funky. Um, And it was really, really cool. And I met some new friends there and... You should maybe organize one where you live. Maybe I will. Yeah, it's the thing called the Sands Ambassadors. I, you know, I'm not being, no one told me to say any of this, by the way. I'm just like a big fan of all these people doing amazing work. What was that? Sorry, what was that called? Sands Bar. Sands Bar. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> they partnered with this, like, this. You're company. writing on your whiteboard? <laughs> no. Um, my board. <laughs> Well, actually, because of Sands Bar and Chris, who runs Sands Bar, he asked me to share very early on in my sobriety um, for a group he runs called the Luckiest Club. And I guess he runs one night of it. And I had never shared in my ever. I had, didn't even know what sharing was. And I had to talk for like 20 minutes about my story. And I was so nervous. And after doing that, that's when I was like, wow, but this is, I, it felt amazing. It's like, this is what I should be doing. And so I'm really grateful to Chris and to Sandsbar. Um, they're doing great things. And actually a company that they partnered with at the event I went to just opened up a sober clubhouse here in New York. 
Um, it's an event space in Midtown and they have, are just having so events, sober meetups. I think it's called Big Vision Events. And they just wanted to have a safe space for people to get together and, and have community. And to open a space in New York City and pay rent, um, that's a really big deal. So I'm hoping that I can do some fun stuff with them in the future. That'd be very cool. You talked about dating earlier. Is there a sober dating app out there? There is. Um, I'm not on it, because, but I did get a DM about trying it out. I don't remember the name of it, but it does exist. So cool. I don't know. I wish I had the name on my. I, I, download, I downloaded one. I think Mark told me about it. And the closest person to me was like 450 miles away. So. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good idea. Like, why not? That's I don't know. a good idea. It's yeah. good. Sorry, I also think it's cool. Like, um, you're talking about the space being open and and uh, like the non-alcoholic companies that are that are coming out with more and more drinks. And I don't know. Obviously, they wouldn't be doing that if they're not if they can't make money, right? So, there's a lot of more people I think these days that are considering the the non-drinking way. And and although we have a lot. Of, further to go in our discussions with addiction and all that I think there are a lot of people that are kind of on the right path as well so it's kind of cool yeah I mean, there are articles coming out every day in the news about people it's not cool to get drunk anymore it's like people don't want to do that I mean I hope that's the truth but I will tell you for a store like Busan to have five locations in New York City five around this one city that means that people are into it like that's a sign in itself. I mean, you can yes. order from them online. <laughs> um, but it's really cool to walk in there and just like, look at all the options. And all of these celebrities are now making non-alcoholic drinks like Blake Lively, Katy Perry, like they all have their own brands of non-alcoholic drinks, which is also fascinating. Super to me. cool. Yes. Rachel, this is my last question for you. Um, what does the future hold for you? Oof, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um, I'm actually, so I'm, I'm about to move, which has been most top of mind for me. Um, and I don't know what the future holds. I do know that I'm going to keep recovering out loud. I, I'm going to write a book. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to share more about that though. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, I, I'm just kind of letting the universe guide me and, and take me where I'm supposed to go. And I feel like I'm just going to try to like enjoy the ride and not try to control it like I want to. <laughs> Can you let us know when your book's out and we'll get a copy? We like books. <laughs> oh, right here with the rest of our guest books. Perfect. I will definitely, it might not be for a while, but That's okay. I would let you know. <laughs> you can come on and uh, talk about it. I would love to. <laughs> and wait, where are you guys all based? Ooh. Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, we're all Canadian. Oh, I knew that basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm from I'm uh, I'm from a town called Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. It's actually called Cornerbrook in Newfoundland, which is in Canada. But I'm living in Lethbridge, Alberta. And I'm I'm in uh, like northern Ontario, like seven hours north of Toronto. Okay, so. I've been to Toronto. I've been to Montreal. That's about it. You haven't been to Newfoundland. No. No, I didn't, I didn't do that. Have you heard of it? Yeah, but is that where all the planes went at, during 9-11? Yeah, yeah. Come from away. 
come from away. Cause I met the cast from come from away for something for work. And we, I ended up seeing it a few times. Amazing show, by the way. And also you guys are great people from everything I heard from the show. And like, the, I mean, that's an amazing story. So that's why I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm very happy about that. Thank you. All right, guys. Any more questions for Rachel? Not, not right now. All right. Next time. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, guys, we'll have all her contact info down below or Instagram uh, website. Um, so guys, thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please reach out and ask for help. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. Thank you.